Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Deanna Fletcher. I'm so glad you've decided to download the podcast this week because I have two incredible guests lined up for you. My two guests today are both high-profile personalities from the United States. A little later, we'll be hearing from Reggie Dabbs, who's been one of the most sought-after public school and event speakers in the US for more than two decades. From professional athletes to high school students to virtually anyone who needs to hear that they are loved and valued. Reggie has brought a lot of hope to literally millions of people across the world. My first guest today, though, is Brianna Babineau, who goes by the name of Brie, an urban contemporary gospel artist and young influencer from the US. I caught up with her on her most recent trip to London. Okay, Brie, honestly, it's such a joy to have you here. Have you been to the UK before? This is my very first time. (laughs) Highlights? You know what? We haven't got to tour anything yet, um, but we did have fish and chips. Oh, brilliant. And that was really, really good. So I was excited about that. So tomorrow we get to tour. So I'm very, very excited about that and to, you know, see the different sites and stuff like that. Ready to take it all in. Meet some of the people. Yes, yes, yes. Well, tell me, how did you come to faith? Um, well... (laughs) I was raised in church, literally. Um, My mom had been going to church since she was, I guess she was about eight, nine years old. Um, And so I was practically born in it, you know. So um, God was always a very um, big part of my life and my family's life. My dad is a pastor, you know, so I'm a PK. So um, God has always been, you know, um, number one in our family, in our household, you know, and in my life. Now, let me ask you, because you're only 23 years of age, right? Yes. And yet you have quite a large, like half a million followers on Instagram alone. Like you're doing really well in your Mm -hmm. career. Does it ever feel like quite a big responsibility to be 23 and yet command such a large following? Is there any pressure? It's a lot of pressure. You know, um, sometimes I don't want to do it. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, God, maybe you made a mistake. Maybe I should, you know, be going back to school, which I am in school. You know, maybe I should be, you know, trying to work on getting my degree and everything like that. So whenever um, I feel like that, or I feel like, you know, the pressure of just everything and, and, and of the social media and just of people basically being in your business all the time, you know, that gets, um, you know, pretty hard. But what keeps me going is the people, you know, the people letting me know that, you know, I still have purpose. I'm still blessing them. I'm still encouraging them. I'm still you know, drawing them back to God. That's what keeps me pushing, keeps me going. And really, it keeps my mind off of all the other negativity, off the stress, off the pressure. That's what keeps me going. And that's what keeps me sane. It's crazy, though, because now you have this large following online. But of course, you started your career thanks to social media Mm -hmm. as well with YouTube. Mm -hmm. How did you decide, do you know what, I'm just gonna, I want to be a singer, I'm going to create a YouTube channel and kind of do what Justin Bieber did. Or was it more of a happy accident? It was a happy accident. (laughs) It wasn't happy at the beginning, um, but it was an accident. Singing, doing this like professionally was never on the agenda. Um, I was in school to become a a lawyer and that's really what I wanted to do. So and then I didn't even post the video. You know, one of my friends were recording me and they posted the video actually on Facebook. But they must have had to. Did they convince you to do it? Like you it w- actually no. what happened was um, we did a worship night. Um, we do this thing, thing called YPFC, Young People for Christ. And we just get together and we just sing different songs. And we were singing. And then 
in that moment, I became vulnerable. I became transparent. And, you know, um, I really started to pour my heart out, you know, and I really began to tune everything out, everybody around me. And it was basically just me and God. And I began to pour my heart out to him, letting letting him know what I needed from him and what I needed him to do for me. And my friend just captured it, posted the video on Facebook. And I mean, it's been history ever since. And um, I had left God and everything. And actually that weekend, God restored me. And, you know, my friends were they just wanted they just wanted to be with me. They just wanted to, you know, me to be around them, me to clear my head from everything. And that's what I did. I went there. I wasn't going to go, you know, because God had just restored me. He had filled me with his power. And I just wanted that to kind of sink in. But I went and I had a good time. And I'm I'm thankful that I went. You know, I'm thankful that I went because I was able to bless somebody else. You know, in my, you know, state that I was in, you know, um, me coming out and me just being transparent before God and really being vulnerable, I was able to help somebody else and, you know, let somebody else know that, man, God is still able. You know, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ever ask or think. It's just we have to remove ourselves and allow him to come in and do those things for us. But I love that out of a situation where you maybe didn't feel like it, Mm -hmm. you maybe didn't feel like going or you went through a hard time. God can do so much through your experience and your service as well. Yes, yes, he can. He can. How do you then translate that to what you're doing online now? Um. You know what? The people, they they enjoy me being who I am. They enjoy the videos. So and they tell me, don't change. Be you. And that's what I've been doing. You know, I'm I'm me. I can't change who I am. You know, so I stay true to who I am and I make sure that, you know, I'm being transparent. I'm being real, you know, with the people I'm giving them the real me, you know, and um, they appreciate that. They really do. You've had kind of a a harder start in life when your parents, I guess, divorced when you were very young. How's your relationship with your parents affected you growing up? Well, when my parents divorced, I was really, really young. Um, One or two, I was really, really young whenever they divorced. Um, But what happened was my father ended up, he ended up um, being incarcerated. So uh, he was incarcerated. So uh, he wasn't in my life. My real father wasn't in my life. But God blessed and my mom remarried um, my father, which is my stepdad, and um, who is the pastor. And she remarried him when I was about three. Um, I was three going on four. I was four years old whenever they re, um, whenever they got married. And, um, man, he's been a blessing to me. I had I didn't have to want for anything. You know, um, he filled that void, you know, that I was missing, that I was longing for. And I'm, I'm truly thankful truly thankful for him and I'm truly thankful for God you know I couldn't ask for a better father you know a better mentor a better um, person that guided me you know throughout my life you know and I'm truly thankful it's incredible how God can really turn difficult situations into something yeah powerful and a blessing yeah I have a friend who says you can't change your past but you can change your future would you say that that's true I say that's true I say that that's true. You know, you can't you can't change your past. All you can do is move forward and do better. Do better from the mistakes that you made. And that's what we did. And, you know, God is faithful. And I'm just thankful that, you know, he's been faithful to me. He's been faithful to my family. And that's all I could ask for. 
Well, thank you so much for your time, short and sweet. But it's such a joy to have you in <laughs> the UK. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Have the best time touring. Yes. And make sure you come back and see us again soon. Yes, we'll do. Such a joy to meet with Bree for the first time. Hopefully, we'll be able to do that again sometime soon. At just 23 years of age, she is such an incredibly powerful public figure, such a large reach and influence. So definitely connect with her online if you're not already. And make sure you hit that subscribe button as well as there are more conversations to come and you don't want to miss any of them. It's two for the price of one today as we continue our conversation on father figures and male role models with Uncle Reggie Dabbs. Reggie Dabs, thank you so much for your company. It's so good to be with you. <laughs> now, for people who've never met you before, I feel like the most appropriate place to start is your testimony. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's basically when I was a kid growing up, I, uh, I was eight years old, and we had parent-teacher conference at school. That's when bad things happen. <laughs> when parents <laughs> show up to school, it's not a good thing. Well, my name was first, and so my parents came, talked to the teacher. When it was over, we walked outside, and I noticed that all my friends' parents were really young, really young. And my parents were like older. And I'm thinking to myself, why are they old? So in the car going home, a brother got to know. I have to ask. So I'm just yelling to the front seat, why y'all old? When we got home, my dad said, we got to talk. And we were at the kitchen table. And a lot of kids and a lot of adults remember the conversation at the kitchen table with the parents. My my mom looked at me and my dad said, there's a plan for your life. And I said, yes, sir. And my mom said, that it's going to be okay. And she said, baby, I'm sorry. And she started crying. My dad moved chairs, held my mom for 10 minutes. After he calmed her down, she simply said, uh, I'm old because I'm not your mom. And my dad whispered, I'm not your dad. They were my foster care parents. I was then told I have a brother named Keith and two sisters named Anna and Jeanette. And that my mom kept my brother my mom kept my two sisters but my mom gave me away she said i was a mistake and i should have never been born and uh that's where it started that's the hurt the sorrow i tell people all the time that boys wear a mask boys pretend everything's good when it's bad happy when it's sad right when it's wrong and girls need they they just know that there's hurt and pain in the world that mac and clinique don't make a makeup to cover that kind of pain so what do you do where do you go and uh from 8 to 21 i didn't care about life i didn't even want to live but it started to change when I was 12. When I was 12 years old, and in public schools, I ask kids all the time two questions. I say, have you ever had something happen in your past that you wish you could change, but you can't? And then I say, have you ever woken up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you can't go back to sleep, and when you close your eyes, it's like a movie in your head of what happened in the past that you wish you could change? And everybody raises their hand. I was 12, and I was crying in my bed at 3 in the morning, and my foster care dad came in, and he simply said... I will never call you Reggie. I will always call you son. And from now to the day I die, I will love you. And that is what changed everything. Hope. You said that between the ages of around 8 and 21, you didn't care so much. So yeah. what changed when you were 21 to help you to connect i think by 21 i decided you know it's a process when you go through something when something shifts inside you it takes a while for it to shift back so if it ends up negative it takes a few minutes to go back to the good so what took a while for me to shift back was the realization that at 12 years old a foster care dad who said i love you a foster care dad who then showed jesus love to me a foster care dad who then was step every step of the way even when i had bad days he was there to the 
the point to where when I was 21 was the first time. It might have happened sooner. But that's the day that I woke up one day and said, you know what? I really like life. And I couldn't really figure out why <laughs> until I traced it back to somebody love me. How did your life then change from there? Because nowadays you are a communicator for young people. You are the U.S.'s number one communicator in schools. You've spoken to and addressed presidents on education. Like some people might look at your life and hear about your life and go, what a jump to go from that kind of upbringing. How how did you get from where you were to where you are? You know, and it, and it, it was really cool because I think I started to think, I wonder what other kids like me are doing. I mean, I mean, I consider myself very lucky to have been given foster care parents who literally love me. My real mom gave me away to her favorite teacher at school. That teacher was married to a school janitor, a custodian who who loved me. I consider myself very lucky. So what they did for me, I need to do for somebody else. So I literally am looking at my life, not on the um, the numbers of people or who the people are and, and all their, their, you know, accreditations, but it's more like I don't want anybody to grow up the way I did. And if somebody loved me, I got to choose to love somebody in return. So it's one day at a time. It's one school at a time, one student at a time, one moment at a time. Mm. Well, fast forward to today. I've I mean, we've known each other for a while. You've known my family oh, since yeah. before I was around. Um, <laughs> you are kind and supportive of everybody, whether it's regardless of gender or age. So I'm interested to know, because you're also a committed husband and father. So how do you think that men can be supportive role models of whoever's within their community without worrying about compromising themselves or their image? Well, you, we, when you're worried about your image, you probably can't help somebody. When you're worried about something coming back to you, then you're not loving them for love's sake. You're loving them for what they can do for you. So first thing you have to do is forget about what somebody can do for you and just leave it as what can I do for them? What can I do to help them? I'll give you a a simple. I was in a grocery store. I ran out of bottled water. And so I went to this grocery store. I'm on tour in a state in America where I don't live. And I just run into the store, grab me some water, get in a checkout line. And I was behind a mom and her six-year-old son. Now, the mom's putting her groceries from her little cart to the checkout counter, the little belt, and the cashier's checking out her groceries. Little boy starts yelling at a sign. He's pointing, yelling, Mama, Mama, look, Mama, look. And the sign said, Halloween costumes, $7. And the boy was like, Mom, you got to get it, Mom. And the mom's like, what? He goes, it's only $7. Mom, I'm Batman. Come on, Mom, you got to get it. And the mom goes, Son, you can't interrupt me. We're learning how not to interrupt, so wait until I'm done, then we could talk about it. When the mom got done putting her stuff on the checkout belt, she turned around and she was weeping. And that's when I noticed. She gets on both knees, pulls her six-year-old son in close and says, I hope you understand. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But we don't have no money. This is all we have. We have to eat. And I'm going to make you a costume. You'll be awesome for Halloween. But baby, you can't be Batman. You just can't be Batman. And the little boy hugged his mom and said, it's okay, mom, but just don't ever forget, I'm Batman. (laughs) And they hugged one more time. She stood up, paid for her groceries. When I put my water on the belt, the cashier looked at me and said, is there anything else I can get for you or just the water? I said, well, can you run over there and get me a Batman costume for that little kid going out the front door, put it in a separate bag, and I'll give it to him. Now, the question is, why did I do that? I did it because it was in my means to make that boy's wish come true. And it was not in that mom's means to make his wish come true. As a father, as a man, we need to decide, you know what? We're going to make someone else's dream come true. 
We're going to be the answer for someone. Even the cashier looked at me and goes, why would you do that? I said, ma'am, this is who I am. This is what I do. And when I went outside, the cashier went with me. She just wanted to see it. And I said, excuse me, ma'am, you forgot a bag. She looked in, saw the costume, started crying. She said, why did you do that? I said, because your son, he's Batman. <laughs> and happy Halloween. Why? It made someone smile. It was only $7. You know, It's not a deal with money. It's a deal with empathy. If a man or a dad or a father chose to live with empathy, it will change everything. Not just in their own family's life, but in the lives of the people who are in contact with them. When you care about what other people are going through, put yourself in their position just for a second, then you have a means to change the way those other people are living. And as men, we need more empathy. That's the one thing I can point at and say that we don't have enough of. Empathy, caring. Well, what else do you think is lacking in men of a millennial generation these days, particularly? It's not men. It's everybody. It's what's for me. What am I going to do? What can I get? What can I? You know, we grew up and we stopped giving the little kids that play soccer a first, second, third place trophy. Then we started saying, wait a minute. Every kid participated. Why can't they all have a trophy? But in life, not everybody gets a trophy. Not everybody gets to win. So what happened is with, even though it was kind the way they said, let's let everybody be a winner, don't look at the scoreboard. People do look at a scoreboard. And if you don't learn to lose when you're a kid, then you're going to act it out when you're an adult. And that, the whole millennial thing is, well, if I'm not happy, I'm just going to leave. Well, if I don't like this, then just forget it. Or right, here it is. I don't care. I don't care. But yeah, you do. But what we're doing is men wear a mask, pretend everything's good when it's bad, right when it's wrong, happy when it's sad. But if a man could be real and honest about themselves, if they can change that, that bad that's in them to good, then that's going to affect other people. Girls, the, the whole, everything runs, you know, everything's going to run. It's going to be bad one day. But if we know and we lean on love, love is the key. Love is the answer. And millennials need to know that love will always come through. And instead of just putting on a mask saying, no, 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 every now and then you need to put yourself in a circle of people, friends, that you can sometimes go, I don't know. I need help. I can't do this by myself. Because that's what the world needs. So how can we identify, well, I suppose most people... Men particularly, if you are wearing that mask and you've put that wall up, you'll be very aware, I'm assuming, that you're pretending. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know. So how do you break through that and how can we, whether it's men or women, in as a community, as a church community, how can we support one another and help people to kind of break through that and find their security and their confidence? I think the best way is to, is to set people up to have moments. God moments, hope moments, love moments. Uh, I do a lot of public schools where I'm not able to share Jesus or even say his name. But yet and still the hope and the love and the factor of caring for each other is huge in those programs. We have to, as a community and especially as the church, give men opportunity where there's no women around. Give them opportunities so men can be with men. Iron sharpens iron. We got to do that even for women and young people. You know, but, you know, young people have their youth group. Women have this woman conference. You know, they do the whole color and women dial it free and all these things. But there's not a lot of stuff for men. There used to be a promise keepers, but that's not around much anymore. We need as the church and as the body of Christ to set men up to win. I mean, why not have a golf outing where there's a devotional after it? You know, you know, 
know, men love to have fun. Why not have, hey, let's have a, start a rugby league. Let's start a, a soccer, a football league. You know, do these things. Hey, let's go down and watch the game together. But then we talk at halftime about life. We got to set men up to win as the church. And if we do, then the church becomes better too. True. What are some of the challenges that you think that young men are faced with today that might have been different for your generation? Well, my one, one thing that started with my generation is the lack of a father in the home. You know, do you know there's a no? You know how many kids hear me talk in school? Literally, the saddest thing I have to say now is, before I tell my story in a public school, I say, look, if you find that there's something about my story and that your story that's together and we're the same, I'm sorry. That's what I have to start with, because there's so many kids. It's it's fatherless. There's there's not a dad in the picture. And biblically in the Bible, at the very end of the Old Testament, it says for fathers to turn their heart to the children and children to the fathers, or else I'll come and smite the earth with a curse. Even the Bible knew that this discontent and this this wedge between fathers and their children was coming. So he they even the Bible warns against it at the end of the Old Testament before the New Testament even starts. And it was almost like that when they says that, that it's saying Jesus is coming. He's going to be the father to the fatherless. He's going to be that gap that these kids are missing. And so we need to just let kids know that there's hope. And when I was a, growing up, when I was in my 20s, 30s, I was like the big brother in public schools. I was like the uncle that everybody liked. But now that I'm 54, kids are looking at me like the dad that they never had. You know, and, and my... My popularity is more because of the dysfunction of the family than anything else. And it's pretty sad that that's true, but it is. You know, I have kids all the time on social media, through all these different, and just walk up after a program and say, I wish you were my dad. I wish you were my dad. One day in, in America, we did schools all day. We did kids five years old to 18 years old. Then we did a big thing called a family night. And this mom came in with her daughter, and she was five years old. She was like, the, they call them kindergartners in America. And she came in, and the little girl was just beaming, smiling, smiling, smiling. And after it was all over, the mom came up and said, I need to tell you something. He said, my daughter's dad is in prison for murder. She doesn't know it. And she's been asking me, who's my daddy? Who's my daddy? And so I told her, I said, someday you're going to meet a man who's going to be so kind and is going to be so gentle and is going to be so loving that you're going to say, that's my dad. And she came home from school that day and went, Mom, I saw my dad today. And she met you. She met me. How does that make you feel? Surely... Having that many young people think so highly of you, but also the popularity and the fact that so many people know your name now, does that ever become overwhelming? You know, and not really. I don't even think about it until certain weird things happen. Like, uh, a good a good friend of ours, his uh, his brother died, and I knew the brother, and their, their family was real close to us back before all this, okay? And my wife was with me, and, and she's like, we're off this week we should go to the funeral I said okay let's go she goes but do not tell nobody you're coming I said what do you mean she goes you need to tell nobody you're going to that funeral you just need to show up with me and let's just, uh, just trust me. I said, okay. So it's a, it was a, the, the family was very popular in the church, in their community. So we flew to another state and we came in about 10 minutes before the funeral started. And when we walked in, the organ player was playing, hit five wrong notes, <laughs> stopped playing, looked over, not knowing the microphone was on and said, 
that's Reggie Dabbs. <laughs> and people started clapping. Oh, my gosh. At a funeral. At a funeral. At a funeral. Who <laughs> claps at a funeral? I was like, and my wife leaned over and went, told you. <laughs> it sounds like my life. And when it was over, when it was over, I was like, I looked at my wife. I went, what was that? She goes, you have no idea who you are. And then I think that's a good thing. That's and she a good said, thing. She said it's a good thing. Yeah. Because I I see I see a kid. You know, my mind right now, I just got done with a school. We've had such a good time here in London. But there was a little girl, year nine, on the front row. She cried so hard that, that it was out loud. And I just stopped and went over and hugged her and whispered in her ear, it's going to be okay. You're the reason why I came here today. And and my wife says that God has given me tunnel vision to see the one instead of seeing the millions. And so that's what keeps me with the way I am. And I hope I stay like this. It sounds like a very healthy mentality. Yeah. And you have to deal with everything you have to deal with. We have to finish. So just lastly. I don't want to finish. <laughs> Thanks. Before I let you go, one of your, well, I should say not one of, but your key message, you can't change your past, but you can change your future. Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone who's been listening to your story and thinking, I have something similar in my life, or I find it really hard to overcome my past negative thinking the way it's left me feeling, where can we start in order to change our future? I think the first thing we need to start is realizing I can't do this on my own. You know, there's some things in this world that's bigger than me, and I need something bigger than me to get me through this thing. And that's when Jesus comes in. That's when faith comes in. And I don't know how people get up every day and just talk to themselves (laughs) when not knowing or not having something greater than them to turn to. But with Jesus, everything's possible. And the way to start that is one day at a time. Uh, I, I used three words recently in a bunch of public schools. Just keep breathing. Just keep breathing. You know, tomorrow holds the answer to the problem that you're facing today. Just keep breathing. No matter what happens, just keep breathing. No matter what anybody says, just keep breathing. No matter the situation, the financial status, you just keep breathing because tomorrow it's going to get better. And if it doesn't tomorrow, then you're one day closer to it getting better than you were yesterday and you didn't give up. Every day is a new day. Every day is a good day. When I wake up in the morning, and I, I do this all the time, I just simply say to myself, today's my last day. And if you live every day like it's your last day, then there are certain things in this world that just won't bother you anymore. It just doesn't. You realize the good thing. Like a glass of orange juice is really good when you think it's your last glass. <laughs> <laughs> so you loving people is really good when you think it's the last day you get to give hope and love and kindness. So live each day as if it's your last and just keep breathing. Thanks, Reggie. Aw, oh, thank you. My thanks to Reggie Dabbs and Bree for both taking the time to speak with me on their most recent trips to the UK. And thanks to you as well for listening. As always, you can join the conversation online. Head to wherever you're most like to social and look us up. Your thoughts on topics you'd like us to cover in future would be most welcome. 